Hello and welcome to Pro Construction Guide series of ProCast. This is an episode where we talk about, uh, or in our episodes, we talk about what pros might need to know. This particular one, we're going to focus on EPA's a lead renovation, repair, and painting rule. Uh, really important stuff. My name is John Gordon. And I'm David Dovel. Hey, thanks for joining us. Pro Construction Guide magazine regularly brings you a new ProCast. It's built exclusively for you, the professional contractor. It's the only podcast for pros. It's hosted by pros and with successful contractors as guests. If you'd like to listen to a ProCast or share it with someone, it's go to ProConstructionGuide.com or iTunes. And I always like to take a second in each episode to talk a little bit about Pro Construction Guide. David, the latest free, free uh, email newsletter had a lot of great stuff in it. Have you had a chance to take a look at it yet? I have. And uh, talked to the editor. He told me the, the, uh, in his, in his uh, story that the tune-up on the miter saw and the pre-hung door got the most clicks. Huh. So Not that's, surprised. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. And uh, we've talked about that before. But uh, great, great information. So make sure you check that out. And I made this point a second ago, but best of all, better than anything, well, not better than anything else, but really good is the fact that it's free and it's available in both English and in Spanish. Uh, about 40,000 pros subscribe to the email newsletters. So if you're not a subscriber, you might be missing out on some good stuff, some free education uh, that'll help you do, do what you do better. So anybody can sign up, any pro can sign up for the newsletter by going to ProConstructionGuide.com or at MeConstruGia.com. And uh, you can sign up after this podcast. Now, let's get on with the show, the, really re the real reason that we're here this morning, and that's we want to talk about EPA's RRP rule. It impacts uh, many, many remodelers. I would argue virtually every remodeler anywhere in the country. And to help with that this morning, our guest is David Merrick. He's the president of Merrick Design and Build in Kensington, Maryland. Welcome to Pro Construction Guide Series of ProCast, David. Uh, can you give us a 30-second bio on David Merrick? Uh, John, I sure can. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you for including me in this podcast, and I just can't emphasize enough that this does affect every contractor out there. You, you just can't say that this rule yep. doesn't apply to you. Uh, Merrick Design and Build has been around for 26 years now. We're in Kensington, Maryland. I've got 15 people that work for us. We have an architect and a kitchen designer on staff, and we are a true design-build remodeling contractor. When I started in business, I got involved with the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NARI, and I've been an active member of their Government Affairs Committee for the past um, seven years. And I was actually chair of that committee when the RRP rule came into existence in 2010. Uh, so is, you... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I just can't emphasize enough how important the RRP rule is, though. So, so, so let's talk for a second, because a lot of people may have heard different things and, and um, have come to the conclusion that the remodeling industry is against dealing with lead paint. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, it's, this has been something that, we, that has been in discussion since prior to 2010, then became basically law in 2010. I think I have my dates right on that. But really, David, honestly and unfiltered, what's it really all about? Yeah. Um, we've known about lead paint for a very long time, since the, the turn of the century in the 1900s. The lead right. paint industry knew that this was a problem um, since the first introduction of the paint. And it really creates a serious uh, developmental problem in young children and unborn children. So the 
the younger you are starting in the womb, the more at risk you are to this. And the the lead gets into your bones, into the cavities, and it, it just stays there forever. And as you grow older, you are less susceptible to the development. Your body is not developing as much, so you're not as much at risk. But a pregnant woman and people up to the age of seven, any exposure to lead is detrimental to them, and it will affect them for the rest of their life and show up as a developmental disability. So any remodeler, how can you say that you're not concerned with the health of your clients and protecting them? This affects us all. I like my clients. I really enjoy what I do. I'm a remodeling contractor because I enjoy that interaction that we have with our customers, and I want to make sure that we're providing a benefit to them. Okay. So the so the the RRP stuff from the EPA is really how they're giving consistent uh and enforceable guidance in dealing with this stuff. Um it that's seems right. so that's good, but there's a lot a lot of our professionals out there today and I, I don't want saying nothing bad about them, but they're just in the dark about this rule. I mean, how can it be so prevalent and still people don't know about it? For a contractor to say they don't know about it, I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> uh, this is what I love about you, Dave. It's like, here's the deal, boys and girls. <laughs> That's crap. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, you just cannot not be aware of this rule. The EPA has done um, a fair job in getting the word out, but organizations like Home Depot and NARI and NAHB, we've all gone out of our way to get the word out and educate the people that we work with about this rule. And the education and the notice, you had mentioned 2010. I took my first lead training course in 1991, and it was a HUD program that uh, Mary jointly sponsored with them to educate people and to voluntarily adopt lead-safe work practices. So I've been following this rule since the early 90s. Um so EPA does have an aggressive enforcement program out there, and every week NARI monitors the uh, results of this. And there's always something that they posted. The um, biggest complaint that we have is that people are just not handing out the booklet, and EPA zones in on that. It's the easiest thing to catch. Um, so they the should be... That are, Go that ahead. ...put out there are... Um, calculated based on a a contractor's ability to pay. So some of the fines have not been what the threat has been. You can be fined a maximum of $37,000, but in reality they're not going to find somebody that for a violation, as long as they can see that you're trying to do something. Right. On the other hand, if you're not trying to do anything, they might come at you a little bit differently. That's when it gets ugly. Okay. Absolutely. So and and this is all this is all good stuff. So 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 when does the rule apply, David? Okay, any house that was built before 1978 falls under the jurisdiction of this rule, and that if you're going to disturb more than six square feet of paint, and this rule applies to contractors, painters, carpenters, electricians, plumbers, anyone who might come in and disturb more than six square feet. There you and go. There's another caveat here that. It's anyone who gets paid to do this work. So that automatically excludes homeowners or helping a friend out 
But if you're a contractor and you're receiving compensation to do some remodeling work and you're going to disturb more than six square feet of paint, you better know about this rule. Well, are, are there any exclusions to the rule? Absolutely not. This is carved in stone. Uh, when they originally proposed the rule, there was an opt-out provision that many people have heard about and been confused about, but it was not included in the original, in the final rule that was issued, and there is just no way out of this rule. If you're working in a house before 1978, more than six square feet, and you're being paid for it, you have got to follow this rule. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it's, and, and it is important, and, and we really need to pay attention to it, so... I, I think it begs for the next question is, in, in, so what are the main things that a remodeler like me, what would I need to do to protect our workers, the subs, and, and, and our customers, most importantly? Well, the biggest thing is dust and controlling the flow of dust on your job site. And I don't know about you, but we've been controlling the flow of dust on our job sites all along. If you mess up somebody's house, they're going to be mad at you. Absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, we've, You've we've met learned, my wife. <laughs> yeah. We learned on our first job to control the flow of dust. And if you do that, that's the, the best thing you can do with RRP work. And the, all of the work practices that are built into the RRP program are designed around controlling dust. Uh, right. Another component at the end of it, which can be bothersome depending on the job that you're doing, is a thorough cleanup. And the, the work practices that they teach you they have a cleaning verification step where you take a swifter dust pad and you've got to clean the floor, and if it comes up dirty, you're not clean. And I know a lot of the projects we do are full gut remodels, and so it's hard to, at the end of a uh, construction project, a bathroom demo, for instance, mm-hmm. you, um, you rip all the walls out, you're down to the framing, that's the point where you want to clean up, and you certainly can't clean that up with a swiffer. So you come in there with a HEPA vacuum and you vacuum everything to death and get all the dust out of the place and fill out your form and and you're done. The the, the danger, though, to your workers, you really need to look at at these things separately. You've, You've got your workers and your subcontractors that you need to protect and your customers. The rule is designed to protect your customers and they do mention what's required to protect your workers. Uh, there actually is an OSHA regulation led in construction that is geared specifically towards protecting your workers from lead exposure. In residential remodeling, it's really, we don't do it all the time. You don't spend every day of your week doing lead demolition. If you do, you, you need to get a different kind of lead license. Right. But wearing a dust mask, wearing protective clothing. The biggest danger is wearing dirty clothes home. If you've got young children at home, one of the the worst imaginable things would be to come home in your dust-covered jeans and pick up your baby at the end of the day and give them a nice hug. And mm-hmm. wow. now you've Been covered your, your, your own children with the lead dust. Hmm. So you, you need to, the, the guiding mantra should be keep clean. Keep your job clean. Keep yourself clean. Um, every step of the way, don't work in a pile of, of dust. Clean it up as you go along. Right. And, I, and I, I think the other part about that where people get kind of freaked out about that is they think about the cost. But, you know, that's just a cost you have to pass on to the customer. You're not actually eating that cost. 
right? Yeah, and in the beginning, everyone was worried about what the cost of this was going to be. And I would submit that if you've done a good job keeping your projects clean, this is a minimal additional cost. Mm -hmm. Um, We have always set up dust protection barriers and cleaned up as we went along. So we've got a little bit of paperwork that we've got to throw in here. We're a little bit more diligent on the cleaning, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, yeah. The customers appreciate it. Um, the jobs are they're easier and safer to work in when they're clean. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to isolate this as a cost and say, RRP has made this project more expensive. You're just doing a better job keeping it clean. So we really have not broken out any costs. When the rule first came out, I put line items in our estimate for RRP, and we found that we didn't need them. We were, it's just part of doing the job. You've got to stop thinking of this as a burden and just start thinking about it as a way to do your work. So here's what, here's what I think about those. I listen to you, David, um, as, as a burden would be, okay, I got, there's some forms. I got to do certain things. I got to use a HEPA filter. So there's a lot of little moving parts while maybe not super complex need your attention. So does the EPA, so that just begs like, hey, I'm, training needs to be done. Does the EPA require contractors to get some kind of training to make sure that they can say, well, I didn't know? Absolutely. Training is a key component of the program. And let me just back up a little bit and say that this is a two-step process. First of all, the firm that you work for must be certified. And this is a fairly simple step to take. You fill out a form and you mail a check to EPA, and they issue your license number and a sticker and a logo that you can put on your truck. And it takes a couple of weeks to get the, the paperwork back. Mm-hmm. It really is not that hard. A couple hundred bucks, I think. I, I forget now. It's been five years since I did it. It was just not hard to do. Firm certification is step number one. Okay. So every company out there needs to have this. Now, every firm needs to have a certified renovator on board. The certified renovator is the one who has to go to class, and he has a little identification card that says he's been to the class. It's a classroom training. It's about six hours of learning about the dangers of lead and working your way through the work practices that are required. And the final two hours are hands-on demonstration where they actually set up a mock-up of a demolition and show you how to install dust protection and how to use a HEPA vacuum and all that. At the end of the eight hours, they take your picture, put it on the ID card, and you're set to go. This train renovator can in turn then train the workers on the job site. So everybody that's working on the job does not need to go through this eight-hour training, but they do need to be trained by the certified renovator before they can work on the job. Okay. And this training lasts for five years, and the EPA just announced that at the end of the five-year program, they're going to allow an online refresher course instead of having to go back into a classroom. Oh, The EPA has really taken a, a great step here to make this easier to comply with. That sounds good. That sounds good. So you'd mentioned something. Uh, two questions come to mind, Dave. You mentioned something about you got a couple forms to fill out, and then I'm listening to you say you got to have these people on the job site. Does the EPA require you to keep records about this kind of stuff, the kind of work you're doing, and so on? Yes. 
Uh, the EPA provides sample forms that are very easy to find that um, really dictate what you're going to do on the job, that you've identified lead on this project and you're going to remove it or you're going to cover it over, uh, abating it somehow. But it's a plan for what you're going to do in this particular job. So you want to keep that form. Okay. Uh, the most important form, and the one that they're finding everybody on is the easiest one, it's did you hand the book to the customer before the project started? So when you hand the Renovate Right pamphlet to a customer, you need to get written acknowledgement from them that they've received the book, and it has to be, well, I can't remember numbers very well, within 30 or 60 days of starting the job, or you've got to do it again. Okay. Um, so you've got to have receipt of the pamphlet, you've got to have a record of what you did on the job, and then a cleaning verification form that says that you cleaned it and you passed the test. And these are all things that you do yourself. You don't have a third-party inspector involved in it. It's up to the contractor to provide this documentation. And then take it back to your office and file it away someplace that you can find it later on. (laughs) That's a good plan. So you touched earlier uh, just on a fines thing. Uh, Real quick, uh, David, what happens if if you're found to be in violation of this stuff? If you you get a letter from the EPA, is that what you're asking? Uh, so, like, if, I don't know if they if somebody's either I, I, do you get reported? Does somebody say, "Hey, uh, you've been found to be in violation," you know, of the RRP? Yeah. What happens? Yeah, most of the people that have run into trouble with the EPA have been reported by somebody. So okay, they they've you know been. Standing out on a house with a sander, sanding away at the paint with no controls, and somebody sees it and turns them into the EPA. Got it. The EPA can either show up on your job site and say, I want to know what's going on. Usually, though, they're going to send you a letter that they're coming to to visit you and to get your records ready. And it's very difficult for them to enforce work practices. They would actually have to be there on your job site when it's going on, and the odds of that happening are pretty slim. So what they go after is the record keeping. And they want to find, they'll come into your office and um, they'll say, give me three jobs that you just did. Let me see the, the file folders. And they actually don't want you to prepare for this. They want to see how you're doing it. So they'll say, give me three random jobs and let me see the notebook. And then they'll go looking through it to understand the job and, you know, they might eventually say, well, where's the, the paperwork for RRT? But they, they really want to understand what your intent is. Are you trying to follow the rule or not? Um, so there's not a whole lot to prepare for here. The better organized you are, uh, the better off you're going to be, though. Okay. All right. Is there anything else that uh, the pros need to know about RRP? Everything that you need to know is included in a booklet a handbook that EPA has prepared, the Small Entity Compliance Guide to Renovate Right. And I know that's a long title. <laughs> it's a it's a 30-page booklet. It's easy to find. Just Google EPA, RRP, small entity, and you don't even need to know how to spell entity. I spelled it wrong, and it popped up right away. <laughs> um, but this book lays out how you... Get yourself certified, the training that's required, what the work practices are, how to train your workers. Every question that you have is laid out in this book. It's available in Spanish as well as English. 
And all you've got to do is just Google, again, EPA, RRP, small entity, and you'll find that booklet. The uh, EPA also has a great website with all kinds of information about this and um, links to the Renovate Right brochure. And I don't know, maybe I can turn uh, this podcast around. John, does Home Depot sell the Renovate Right pamphlets in the stores? I don't I don't think we sell them in the stores. When I was working with our services guys doing the in-home stuff, we had uh, we had them available for the professionals and, and actually helped the EPA design a pamphlet that was a handout pamphlet. So I don't even know that there's a sale of things uh, so much as the um, it's like an awareness pamphlet, what you should know about EPA and RRP. Yeah. Um, you do need to find a source to, to buy these pamphlets. And you can download them as a PDF and print them out. And I found that costs more than finding out where you can buy them. But the NHB bookstore sells them. Mary sells them. Um, I'm sure if you Google the Renovate Right booklet, you can find links to where you purchase that. But you buy them in a uh, package of 50 so that you've got them handy. And the acknowledgement form is on the last page of the booklet. So you just hand the booklet to them, get them to sign the last page, take that page out of it, and put it in your records. Hey, do you know if you have to keep that uh, uh, paper, the, uh, the, the paper version, or can you scan it and keep it on a computer and print it out later? You know, the EPA has been very good about how people comply with this, and I'm sure that that's not a problem to right. scan it. Well, all of our files eventually are scanned into um, electronic format and safe. We don't have file cabinets of papers anymore. Yeah, absolutely. They just want to know that you're doing it. Sure. And, you know, we can see this in the finding process. If you're trying to cooperate, you're probably not going to walk away with a monetary fine at all. It's the people that are flagrantly ignoring the rule are the people that are getting fined. And that's that's good. I mean, that's kind of as it should be, so that's good. So, so David, yeah. we've got a bunch of professionals listening. they got a bunch going on. So we like to say, let's summarize. Like, if you could say that here's the three things that you got to remember about the RRP uh, and the EPA and the law, what three things would you tell uh, our, uh, our ProCast listeners? That this really is a serious risk that you, you need to pay attention to. Lead is a dangerous substance. It never should have been put in paint and we expose our customers to it when we don't pay attention to this rule. And it just is not worth the effects that a small child will have if they get exposed to lead. So you need to take this seriously. Um, You need to be in compliance with this law because they're going to come after you. And as the law matures and becomes more standard, it's going to be easier to do. It just... There's no good reason not to be in full compliance with this law. And the final thing is it's just not as bad as people thought it was going to be. It's not that hard to comply with. So you should do it. Excellent. Very good. Thank you, sir. Listen, we appreciate your time and your insights. And uh, I remember being very, very impressed with how you managed this just from those very early days, David, when, when things were out there and people were wrestling trying to figure out how to do this. I always felt it took a professional approach, and today you've just shown us that, that, that it's, that it's uh, I don't want to say easy, but it's not difficult 
uh, to comply professionally. So thank you so much for your insights. Folks, if you want to check out uh, David Merrick's website, visit Remodel with Merrick. That's Remodel with M-E-R-R-I-C-K.com. So you get this kind of professional thought and, and uh, engagement uh, in, the, in the remodeling arena as well. So, David, uh, many, many thanks for that. David Doval, it's time to jump in our spare parts box. What say ye? Well, it's kind of right in line with what uh, David Merrick was talking about with uh, uh, knowing uh, about the lead. One of the things that I, I, I think it's important to do for, for all contractors is we don't always know much about the house that we're going to visit to do an estimate on, no matter whether you're doing a bathroom, kitchen, or a whole house remodel, uh, maybe replacing windows, whatever. Uh, a smart thing or something that I think that you should do for multiple reasons uh, one is to find out the age of the house, um, but you would pull up the deed of the house. So it's pretty easy with the Internet these days to go right to the tax records uh, online in the county that you're working in or the house is located in. Um, uh, you can find out when the house was built or nearabouts if there's some records on it. You know that if it's pre-1978 that you've, you certainly need to be looking at a lead test to find out if it's in there. Or as David said, you can just about assume that there is lead paint in that house. Um, from that, uh, I think along with the other tips, John, would be uh, one thing you're going to find out is whose house is the name, the, 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 whose name is the house in. Uh, that's pretty important to know because if you're going to enter into a contract with somebody, you want to make point. sure you enter into a contract with the people that actually own the house because that makes it legal. Um, I, I ran into this situation lately, or, or just, just, just lately, and it was the as I was about to do the contract, the, the name of the, the people's name were not on the deed. So we had to change some things around. Uh, so <clears throat> if I needed legal recourse, I had it. Um, lots of things to be able to tell about a home. Also, asbestos uh, uh, can show up in houses that were uh, built earlier. So do that. It's the first step. You should really do that before you go out to someone's home. Uh, and one more thing that it helps with is you kind of know the value of the house so you can guide that customer on a renovation. You can say, hey, are you planning on staying here a long time? Because this house is maxed out at its value right now. Uh, you're only going to get the, you know, the, the joy of the project yourself. You're probably not going to recoup all the cost. Or, you know, this is a great investment. You know, it can help you sell the job. So, do your due diligence, check the deed out for the house and get all that information that's available in just about every county in the country, I'm sure. Awesome. Good advice. Good advice. Now, if you'd like to listen to this podcast or clearly you're listening and you want to share it, just visit us at www.proconstructionguide.com. Hey, if you haven't gotten your copy of Pro Construction Guide, then visit the Home Depot closest to you. They'll have them at the uh, Pro Desk. If you have any feedback for us, give us a call at 866 866- 647-2346. Leave us a message. We really do want to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much, and we'll see you in our next episode of Pro Construction Guide Magazine's ProCast Podcast. We're hoping that you're going to make us a valuable tool in your toolbox. <laughs>